Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Won't you join us as we worship this evening? I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was mine too. Till I met you. I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Till I met you you called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day. You called
The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh, oh yeah. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will. I know how this story ends. Oh, yes, I know how this story ends. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the
try this microphone and see if it'll get through. If not, Tommy's got us a backup online. If you have your Bibles with you, um, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. I got a message from uh, Don layman today that Terry Hewlin is is back here at the beach and not doing very well. Uh, for, if you don't know, uh, Terry is battling with cancer, um, been fighting hard and fighting for a long time. Um, so just encourage you to remember him um, in your prayers. Certainly want to be praying. We're, we'll talk about this some this evening, but... Um, Lord, for the shape of our country, I don't know if y'all have recognized it or not, but uh, this thing's in a mess. Uh, but there is a God in heaven, and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could a even ask or begin to imagine. If you can dream it, he can do it. Amen? He can do it if you can't dream it. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are... Just extremely grateful, blessed to be able to call ourselves children of the Most High God. We realize that our becoming part of your family 
while it was easy on our part, it came at a great cost to you. And so we are just so thankful that you were willing to allow your blessed son to come into this world, pay a debt on a cross that we could not afford. We're so thankful tonight to be thoroughly convinced in our hearts, our minds, that he is risen and is right now seated by your right side, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And only because of him can you even hear this prayer. So we are so grateful that he has not only given us a way to be saved, but a way to be heard in heaven. We believe that you not only hear us, but you answer our prayers. So God, tonight when we ask you to lay your healing hand on Terry Hewlin, all of the others within our church family and uh, our extended family that need a healing touch in their bodies, God, we know that you're able, more than able, more than adequate to bring about healing. We also understand that you're God and we're not. That you have a good and a perfect plan and it's always right. And so Father, we pray that you'd help us when our prayers are answered differently than what we expect. To continue to believe and have faith that you know better than we do. We pray for our upcoming revival for... Pastor Shane Jackson, that God, you just continue to fill him with your spirit, give him the words that you would have us to hear. Mm -hmm. Give us the faith to not only come and hear, but to leave and behave. That we would be changed from the inside out. And God, that this would be a genuine revival, so much more than just a series of meetings. God, we know that even as the church, the blood-bought children of God, there are times in our lives and areas in which we need to have our faith increased and repent of our own sins. And so, God, we pray whatever the need is in each of our lives, we pray believing that you'll, you'll meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Give us the grace and the faith to do our part we love you we ask you to help us this evening as we open up this word to learn how we might become a better catalyst of change in this cultural climate we find ourselves living in in Jesus name we pray amen amen uh, I hope that you you know where where I stand in regards to what is required in order for a person to be saved. First and foremost, that 
there's not a person on this planet that doesn't need to be saved. Amen. That we really believe, or I really believe, that the Bible is true. Even if all men are liars, God is true. And so when scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that includes folk, good folk like you and me. I use the term good folk loosely because Jesus said there's only one good and that's God. We're not as good as we would like to think we are or have others believe us to be. So we're all in need of salvation because there is a consequence to our choices, our life choices. I'm, I don't have consequences due to Adam's choices or my father's choices, but I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the penalty, the wages of sin is death. But thanks be unto God, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad don't, God doesn't leave us in a ditch that there's no way out of? But it is a ditch that you and I cannot climb out of. And so I want to I be really, really clear in the beginning this evening because I think that others have been... Um, somewhat confused as to what I believe in the past in regards to, to salvation. There is nothing, nothing that you can do in and of yourself to please God. In fact, I believe that even for the Christian, it remains true, the words of Isaiah, that all of our righteousness is but filthy rags before a holy God. Apart from Christ, we're hopeless and helpless. No amount of money that you give to a church, no amount of good that you do in your community, no moral standard that you can aspire to will merit you a place in good standing with God. It's, it's by grace, Paul said, that you are saved. Through faith. By grace, through faith. Boy, I like that because that gives folks like us a chance. Amen? Grace means unmerited favor. He goes on to say it's the gift of God. That if you're saved, it's because God gave you a present. A great and glorious gift. You don't earn a gift. Most people don't buy gifts for themselves, although I know some do. Salvation is the free gift of a sovereign God. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Paul elaborates in Ephesians chapter 2 and says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now I think what Paul is saying there is there none of us be able to stand before God and say, I'm here because of what I've done. There's no bragging rights among the family of God. Jesus done for us what we could not 
and would not do for ourselves. And by the way, in case there's somebody here or joining with us online that um, somehow thinks you found God, you weren't looking for God. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And boy, I don't know about you, but I sure am glad when I wasn't looking for him, he came looking for me. So let there be no confusion as to what I believe about salvation. I believe God initiates it, he implements it, and he perfects it. What I mean by that is, once I got saved, it did not become my responsibility to keep myself saved. If that were the case, I'd have been lost the day I got born again. So, so make no mistake, I believe that if we're, you're, I know I'm going. And I believe that if you're going to heaven, it's not because you just miraculously somehow made yourself good. Right. You're going to heaven because God loved you when you were bad. But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You missed a good place to shout right there. Now, while every bit of that is true, and it's true because it's rooted and grounded in the word of truth, in the word of God. But, but I think it's equally important that we understand as followers of Christ, as believers, that those who are saved by his grace through faith that God gives us that same faith and that same grace changes us listen i i'm i'm i can't tell you how happy it makes me that God loved me when I was living in a pit. But boy, I can just shout happy hallelujah that he reached down and he took me out and he set my feet down on solid ground. Paul would continue in Ephesians that while it's not of works, lest we should boast... He says in verse 10, and we, we, we typically try to stop at Ephesians 2 and 9, but, but he continues in verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, please don't miss this, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So Paul's not selling this kind of cheap grace, greasy grace, I call it, that, that somehow you can be saved and 
need not be any real change to your life just so long as you have an intellectual belief or understanding in who Jesus is. But, but Paul connects to that saving faith this idea of sustaining and serving in that faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for this purpose unto good works. What did you do before you got saved? Evil works. Pastor, I wasn't really that bad. You might want to read your Bible again. <laughs> so God created us to do good works. And then in verse 27 of Ephesians chapter 2, he, he makes this statement, we who are, are saved by grace, we groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Those very people that Paul's talking about in Verse 8, 9, and 10, who are saved by grace through faith to do good works as have been ordained by God, they grow, and this is what they grow into, into a holy temple of the Lord. I believe there is truth that you can be saved and live like you want to. If God has changed your want to. The problem is, is there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, who call themselves Christians, who profess faith, but have had no genuine conversion experience. Their want to hadn't been changed. Jesus, in our text in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, 6, and 7 is the recording of one sermon preached by the Lord Jesus. It's the longest sermon we have recorded coming off the lips of our Lord in all of Scripture. One of the most profound documents ever put in print, I believe, is Matthew chapter number 5, number 6, and number 7. We've jumped ahead in his sermon a little bit. He literally begins this sermon in the first 12 verses in what we have become to affectionately call the Beatitudes. That is, it's a, a sermon on your attitude. Boy, don't we all know some Christians that could stand to hear that sermon. Well, maybe you is one of them. <laughs> but, but, but what I want to pay attention to tonight is verse number 13. <clears throat> you are the 
salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. In all of this three-chapter sermon, Jesus only uses two analogies in referring to believers. And that is this one that we're looking at and the one right under it where he talks about being the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. So he wants us to understand something about the Christian life in lieu of this analogy of salt. You are the salt of the earth. But before we even deal with the subject of salt, though, I think it's important that we understand who it is he's talking to. When I begin preparing and studying for this text, I keep kept wanting to separate my points and, and each point in reference to the church. And, and I was hesitant about doing that because sometimes I'm afraid that we miss the application when we address the church corporately, it seems like it tends to go over our heads personally. Does that make sense? When I, when I say church, you, you understand, I'm, I'm talking about you, Christians, not an organization or a building or a place that we gather to meet. You are the body of Christ. And, and so when he says you in this text, he's speaking to his followers, he's speaking to the church, but he uses a personal pronoun. Dave, he says you. You. You, Miss Mary, are the salt of the earth. Think about the implications in that little phrase. Now, now what he's teaching is that somehow each of us individually has an impact on a global scale. He did not say you're the salt of your family, though you are. That's where it begins at. He certainly did not say you're, in, you're the salt of your church, though you are. But I think therein lies part of the problem is there's so many people who can be salty around Christians but can't be salty in the world. And so he wants us to understand that what he's called us to be 
is something beyond the walls of the church. Beyond even the body of Christ. That he wants each and every one of us to be an influence in the world around us. Now, he's certainly not saying that I'm responsible to be the salt in Cambodia or I'm the uh, responsible to be the salt in South Africa. I believe what he is teaching is that the church universally is the salt of the earth because us individually and personally are the salt within our own context. That is, we influence with the platform that God has given us. And all of us have a platform. We all have people that we can influence. And so Jesus wants us to know, man, this, this is a big deal. Because when each of us do our part, the effects are felt around the world. I, I like the way Billy says it. Billy, Billy calls, it, calls it the ripple effect. When you throw a stone into a pond, it makes a splash in the center, but then there's a ripple effect that carries out from that. And so it is with Christ and Christianity. We just got to focus on making a splash. But I do want to point out that he did not say, you might be the salt of the earth. He did not say you may become the salt of the earth. He did not insinuate by saying you should be the salt of the earth. He said you are. If you're a follower, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not something you will become. It's what you already are. The, the word are is a present tense verb. Right here, right now, you are the salt of the earth. Let, let's not sit back and assume that professional Christians are the only salt of the earth. Amen. No, that's what we all are. We're all an influence. So please don't allow what we're about to discuss to go over the top of your head for the person behind you or, or beside of you or, or for the one standing before you. I promise you this message is for you because he says you. You are the salt of the earth. A, a few qualities that I think are important that we understand about salt. And, and we only have time for a, a few because I, I didn't know this un, until researching for this, this lesson. Did you know that there are literally like 14,000 uses for salt. Something so ordinary and yet so extraordinary. 14,000 different uses for salt. I never would have dreamed that. But, but, but even if there were only two or three, 
isn't it interesting that God can use you? If he can use salt in 14,000 different ways, there's somehow he can use you. First, I mean, this is just really simple stuff with a profound impact. Salt, as we all know, is a seasoning. Now, now I'm not a cook, but one thing I know is salt makes food taste better. Try eating french fries without it, and you'll know what I'm talking about. What I mean is it, it makes the bland good. But what I did not know is salt not only adds flavor to food, it pulls the natural flavor, the good flavor out of the food. I didn't know that. So, so really, when, when you put salt on steak, it just brings the, the better out of the steak that's already good. Certainly, it adds flavor to it, Tim. But what I learned was it actually brings the good out of it that's already in it. And I think it's important that we understand that because we need to know that there's some good in everybody. Oh, I know there's a whole lot of bad in all of us. But if we're not careful, all we'll see is the bad when there is some good in everybody. You say, preacher, that can't be true because all have sinned, all are born lost, but all are created in the image of the greatest goodness that there is in the image of God. And so as, as Christians, as Followers of Christ, I think God would have us to understand that our business as the salt of the earth isn't to go around pointing out everything that's bad in everybody, but try to capitalize and draw out of that that's good that God has placed down inside of them. You know what I've learned? There's some lost people that are gooder than some saved people I know. Come on. And, and I don't mean that they're, they're going to heaven or they're saved, but what I do understand is if, if you look hard enough, you can find some good in just about anybody. But you do got to look. Salt seasons, not only, yes, does it bring the, the, the good out of something that's already there, but let's face it, man, eating pintos ain't like eating pintos if you eat them without salt. I mean, it does add goodness to the food that we eat. Can we all agree? Now, I know salt has got a bad rap in the, the day we find ourselves living in. But, but listen to me. They ate it in the Bible. So I'm going to keep on eating it. And, and, and there's actually some good in the salt that we eat, did you know you can't live without salt? Now, what we don't want to do is overdo it like we tend to do everything. But salt, if it weren't for salt, you wouldn't be able to retain water in your body. And, and you know as well as I do, you can't live without water. So there's, there's some good in salt. Could, could, could I just make this application before we move on? 
Not only should we as Christians try to draw the best, the good, out of the people that we come in contact, but we ought to leave them better than they were when they met us. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you like it to be said of you by the earth, culture, in your community that you made somebody's life better, that you added flavor to somebody's day. I want to be that kind of Christian that when people meet me, they see something that they want to become, something that compels them to want to live their lives better. And, and by the way, that's who you need to surround yourself with. Folks that make you want to be gooder than what you are, better than what you are. I don't want to surround myself with people that wants me to become less than what I am. And so salt is a seasoning. We should be a catalyst of change in our culture, in our immediate context for the good. Now, here, here's the balance. Because not only is salt used as a seasoning, but it's also a sanitizer. You ever had a nasty cut? And just went and spent some time in the ocean. And notice how there is a healing that takes place in that ocean. How it cleanses the wounds. And even if you go to the hospital, they'll use salt in order to cleanse your wounds. There's a sanitizing effect to, to it. Um, and, and listen... We're living in an infected world right now. A world not only in wounded, but infected. In need of sterilization, cleansing. The truth. also a stabilizing agent or a preserving agent that is back in the time Jesus preached this sermon they didn't have refrigerators they, they didn't have freezers in order to store their foods what they had was salt. And some of y'all know what country ham is. I ain't got to elaborate. But that's the way that they did all of their meat, their fish. And, um, well, they didn't eat bacon where Jesus was going to church. But uh, <laughs> all of their meat was um, preserved by applying salt to it. And, and literally what the salt done was it... 
um, it, it, it aided in preventing or preserving the meat and stopping the decaying process of the meat. The uh, bacteria wasn't able to grow on the meat and infect it and corrupt it till it decayed. Um, now, now think about that for just a moment. If, if you, um, I have a little bit of experience cutting up meat, and, and, and one thing that I know is you don't have to let meat sit long before it starts to sour and decay and rot and go bad. And, and Jesus is using this as an analogy of what the, what the Christian is supposed to be in the world around them. Listen to me, we're living in a decaying culture, a decaying climate. Could I say it this way without being too vulgar? Our world is becoming more and more rotten. And the problem is, is that we have a tendency to sit back within the walls of the church and complain about how rotten, how putrid, how everything is decaying. And Jesus is saying, you're the salt. You're the preserver. You're, you're the one that's supposed to be making the difference. Don't let don't don't point your finger at the White House for what the church house is supposed to be taking responsibility for. You are the salt of the earth. Now, the the sobering Reality is that he presents us with a very real problem in the analogy and in our current culture, as well as the culture of the church that he was speaking to. Notice the problem. He says, but if the salt has lost Here's that personal, another personal pronoun, his. Not there, but his. If the salt has lost his savor or his flavor, his saltiness, wherewith shall it be salted? If the church has lost its ability to do the purifying work, that Jesus has created and called us to be. If, if we lose the power and the ability to, to be about the preservation of that which is good and right and holy and just. If the church or the Christian loses that very thing that's supposed to separate them and make them distinguishably different from the world. If the church, if the Christian loses his salt. So while being salt, an agent of change in our culture, our community, whatever context or platform God has given you, there is a tendency to lose that. 
And I think the way that it's lost is in the question that he asked. If the church, if, if, if you lose your salt wherewith, therefore shall it be salted. And I think here's where the Christian and the church corporately loses its salt is it's looking to be salty or how to become salty through avenues outside what God has provided. What I mean is salt stands out because it's salt. I mean, if, if you're eating food, you know when it's been salted because the salt is so much different than the food that it's in. What I mean is, if you eat a French fry, I, I just gotta—I keep talking about French fries. I, I gotta have—I gotta have salt on my taters, okay? <laughs> but if you eat a French fry that does not have salt on it, you don't wonder what's missing. You know what's missing because of the distinctness of the salt. It's that much different from the tater. The problem is, is the church has a tendency to be more like the French fry than the salt. Did that make any sense at all? I mean, we're, we're, we've gravitated toward fitting in instead of standing out to the point that you cannot hardly tell the difference between the culture and the church anymore. Listen, it ought to be that if God removes the church, it would be evident because the church was so different from the world around it. I wonder, I wonder if we're salty enough that if the Lord took us out of here, would anybody even recognize something good is gone? Listen, this, this, this entire sermon that Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's one of those what I call get in your grill kind of sermons. I mean, he just gets in your business, man. He, he challenges every area 
of our life. He, he deals with things like marriage and divorce and finances. He, he deals with each and every one of our attitudes and how we judge and how we treat people and, and how, we, how we give. I mean, he gets into every recess, every corner of our business because he wants us to be different than the world around us. And so he says, if the church, if the Christian, if, if you have lost your salt, he says this, wherewith shall it be salted? And, and, and there's, there's some different opinions, two different thoughts on what is the it or who is the it that he's referring to. Now, one opinion, and I don't think either one of them is... Um, doing damage to the text. I believe both remain true to the scripture. And, and one of them is this, is if you as a believer lose your salt, where else, how else are you going to become salty? And then secondly, if you as a believer, if the church, if Christians lose their saltiness, then where is the where is the earth, where is the world that we're to be the salt of? Where does it get salted at? Now, now here's the application that I think we need to draw from that and take away from that is, is listen, first of all, in our immediate context, we all are the salt within our own families. You are the salt. You, you can't be the salt to the world until you're first the salt at home. Now, here's the thing. If you have lost your salt, where are your children going to get it? If you've lost your salt, what hope do your grandbabies have? If you've lost the salt, how can we expect the world around us to change? Listen to me. Biden nor Trump, Republican nor Democrat, liberal or conservative has the power to change the culture around us. That's what God put the church here to do. And, and so if, if we've lost our saltiness, then we need not expect change in the culture around here. That, that's what God put us here for. Now, I, I do want us to understand what a powerful statement this is on the power that God has vested in Christians in His church in regards to the culture around it. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is confident enough that if the church, or as the church is the salt of the earth, that's all that's needed to change culture, culture plus nothing minus nothing. That we have 
the ability through the power of the Spirit of God who lives inside of us by proclaiming the Word of God He's pinned down for us, we have the ability to change the culture around us. You know, I wonder sometimes if we realize the power that God has invested in the church. Do, do we really understand, do we believe, do we own the reality that as believers, as Christians, God has infused his own spirit inside of us. That the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe has set up residence inside each and every believer. Could I say it this way, that where you go, God goes. And Jesus wants us to understand the power is already invested in each of us to, to not only see, but to be the change that we want to see. But, but it will not happen through politics or r religious debate. I, I believe the greatest missing element in this Maintaining our Savior, remaining salty, is in this idea, the context of living holy. Don't, don't separate, you are the salt of the earth, from the entirety of the sermon and especially the immediate context that this verse is in. He, he goes on to say, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. Listen to this. Who, who lights a candle and sticks it under a bush? I, I mean, what would be the point in lighting the candle... If you were just going to, as in a, another place in the Gospels, put it under a bed somewhere and hide it away. Now, now l listen, here's, here's a real issue. That the church is losing its saltiness over today. And how many times I've heard this. Well, pastor, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. But to me, that personal and private. No, it's not. No, it's not. Do you think Jesus was trying to teach you that as the light of the world, you needed to go in a closet and shut the door behind you so nobody would know that you're a Christian? We're, we're, we're living in a time, Ian, where 98% of Christians admittedly never share their faith with anybody. Now, I, I, I think to myself, in light of what Jesus is teaching here, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. I mean, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and 
The only folks that know it is the ones that you go to church with. You've lost your soul. That's right. You've put your light somewhere it don't belong. And I would have to beg that you answer the question, are you a follower of Christ at all? Jesus said this, if you confess me before men on earth, then I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Let me say it this way, if you share your faith, I'm going to have a talk to daddy about you. But if you deny me before men on earth, then I'm going to deny you, daddy, that one don't belong to me. I don't even know who that is. They know my name, but I don't even know them. Depart from me, you that work iniquity, you that practice lawlessness. And see, here's, here's where it gets really sticky at. Because somehow, Charlie, over the years, the church has lost sight of the reality that those who are saved are sanctified. Don't, don't miss the context of what Jesus is teaching. He's not changed subjects. Verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all. Be fulfilled. Now watch this. Wherefore, therefore, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Don't miss this. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, go back to the introduction. You are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. The keeping of the law is not what Christians do that they might live. The keeping of the law is how Christians live. Because of gratitude for what Christ has done. Jesus said. That. Unless your righteousness. Exceeds, excels, is above and beyond. The righteousness of the scribes. And the Pharisees. You shall not enter in. To the kingdom of God. Now, we know that the Pharisees and the scribes were a religious lot. 
the Pharisees' whole concern was the teaching of the law. The problem was, Miss Mary, is they taught it and they didn't live it. They preached it, but they didn't practice it. Not that they or we could keep it perfectly. That's why we need Christ and the cross. But Jesus wants us to understand that those who are saved by grace through faith in order to maintain their saltiness, they have to have a righteousness that's exceedingly abundantly above the righteousness of the scribes or the Pharisees. We got too many people who were preaching not who are lecturing but not living, who are crying, be ye holy, who aren't striving to be holy. You see, I'm thoroughly convinced that this idea of saltiness boils down to this concept. You will never point people toward heaven as long as we're living like hell. I know it don't feel good. But it's the truth. And the problem, I believe, especially in American Christianity today, is the church is more interested in making people feel comfortable in order to build big crowds to the expense of their conversion. How, how could we ever come to a place where we're more interested in be, people being comfortable than they're being converted and changed. And yet, yes, sir, and, and yet I am, I am I'm sadly disturbed at the, the immorality that's not only practiced but taught in our churches. Whoever dreamed that we would find ourselves living in a time where churches have pastors and Bible teachers have abandoned the idea of one Woman, one man, two becoming one flesh for a lifetime. Whoever dreamed that we would find ourselves living in a time where our churches are ordaining homosexual and lesbian pastors in their pulpits. Could, could I suggest to you that we need some salt? We, we need some salty, salty Christians. I guess Tom is telling me something. Honey, turn me off. <laughs> but, but you see, here, here's the thing, guys. Here's, here's, here's the thing. It's once again, we hear that word Church. And it goes right over the top of our head to, to that guy over there. 
or to the church down the road? Could, could we ask ourselves this evening, Charlie, how salty are you? Tim, how, how salty are you? Now, I'm not going to make a lot of friends when I make this statement, and, and, and I'm not suggesting that we're arrogant and hurtful and mean to people. But I do want to point out that every time I've got salt in a wound, it stunk. It hurt. It didn't feel good. But it was necessary for the healing that followed. And, and you see, listen, friends, please hear me. You can't be salty with your family and your co-workers and, and those that you go to school with or in your community without it stinging. The, the Bible says, Paul asked this question. He said, wherein lies the offense of the cross? You know what he's saying? The cross is an offensive message. Christ having to come and die because of my sin. That's, that's offensive to my humanity. That's an offensive Message to my person. But if I don't ever get offended. I don't ever get saved. And, and, and listen. To be salty. I really believe that the church needs to understand. The power is not in making people feel comfortable. The power is in the gospel. The power is is in the truth. And the truth is controversial. The truth is offensive to sinful nature. But I'm telling you, Michael, we need some salty Christians. We need some Christians that will say, listen, this is right because God said it's right. We need some Christians that will stand on this is wrong because God said it's wrong. And we need some Christians. Whoever believed we'd find churches that won't make the statement that Christ is the only way whereby women, boys, men, and, and girls can be saved and come into a right relationship with God. That's a, listen, that's a truth we can't waver on. There's not ten ways. There's one. And he's a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How salty? How salty are we? We can be sweet. But, but when it's called for, can we be salty? Not mean. You know, I've, I've often said that the person, I really believe the person that loves you the most is the person that tells you the most truth. Regardless of how it makes me feel. You want to prove to me that you love me? Tell me the truth. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. That's dangerous. Lord Jesus, 
we believe, according to this text, this, this one little but powerful verse of Scripture, that you want to use each of us to make a change in the world. God, the, the liberals, whether they're claimed to be Christians or not, they don't care who they offend. Lord, the, the, the politicians, the, those leaders in government, they don't care who agrees with them or not. They stand on their convictions. And God, I pray as Christians you would help us to do the same. Help us to be bold, not arrogant. To be steadfast and yet kind. To be loyal to you and yet loving to the world around us. Loving enough to tell the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go, I want, to, I want you to take this home with you. Jesus said, If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And then he closed this, this one verse they, the way I want to leave here tonight. And he says, if it's lost its savor, if it's lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. But to be cast out. Yeah. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to hear what Jesus is teaching in the context that he's teaching in. In biblical times, salt was very valuable. In fact, it was a form of currency. Soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. Wars were fought over salt mines. So it was, it was very valuable unless it lost its saltiness. And then what they would do with it is they would cast it out. And they didn't just cast it out to get rid of it. They cast it out with a purpose. Anybody ever... Um, Got behind a salt truck in the wintertime. They're spreading the salt on the highways. And they do that to melt the ice. But in Jesus' day, the reason that they cast out the salt, they threw it on the highways, but for the purpose of killing the grass and the weeds that would grow up in the highways. So the salt that has lost its savior, savor is no longer influencing and bringing life. It's culpable in the death of the culture. Now it's, it's not only not bringing the life that Jesus wants us to bring into the culture, but it's partnering with the culture to become corrosive and deadly. And here, here I am and I'm done. Finally, it's only fit to be trodden under the feet of men. How many of you know that in Bible times, they probably didn't have these dainty little salt shakers like we got? <laughs> Corona packets. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ripped the little thing open and you ain't got enough for your french fries. No salt in Bible times didn't come in a Morton box. It was rocks blocks of salt if the salt lost its savor now remember he's, he's not talking 
He's not talking about dinner. He's talking about doctrine and duty. If the salt, if the Christian, if the church has lost its Savior, then it's cast out and trod, where did it fall? On the highway. And trodden under the foot of men. So here's the result in not being salty as a Christian. The world that you were supposed to impact is now going to walk all over you. And, and I don't know if maybe I'm the only one here that's recognized it, but the world has been emboldened. The world is doing its best to trample all over Christians and the church. I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing times really escalate to where the world is walking all over the church. Now, I know what some of you are sitting here thinking. Yeah, but Jesus said the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, which begs me to question those getting walked on. Are they the salt of the earth? Are they the light of the world? I got a feeling that while the church was sleeping in silence, the enemy has sown a lot of tares amongst the wheat. Now let's go out and be the salt. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much.